Good morning, and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. If you're ever in Uptown Columbus, we invite you to stop by and say hello. We'd love to see you, have you worship with us. We'll make you feel like family. At First Presbyterian, we are family. Learning together, growing together, worshiping together. Invite those who are able to please stand for our first lesson. It is from Luke's Gospel in chapter 4, picking up in verse 14. Listen now to the Word of God. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and report about Him spread through all the surrounding country. And He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. And when he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Please be seated. Let's attune our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our very beings to God's word. Listen. About that time, King Herod laid violent hands upon some who belonged to the church. He had James, the brother of John, killed with the sword. After he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the festival of unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison and handed him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. While Peter was kept in prison, the church prayed fervently to God for him. The very night before Herod was going to bring him out, Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers while guards in front of the door were keeping watch over the prison. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light, sh and a light shone in the cell. He tapped Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his wrists. The angel said to him, Fasten your belt and put on your sandals. He did so. And then he said, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Peter went out and followed him. He did not realize what was happening with the angel's, that what was happening with the angel's help was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. After they had passed the first and the second guard, they came before the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went outside and walked along a lane. Then suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hands of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. As soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many had gathered and were praying. 
When he knocked at the outer gate, a maid named Rhoda came to answer. On recognizing Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the gate, she ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she insisted that it was so. They said, it's his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. When they opened the gate, they saw him and were amazed. He motioned to them with his hand to be silent and described for them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he added, tell this to James and to the believers. And then he left and went to another place. When morning came, there was no small commotion among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And when Herod had searched for him and could not find him, he examined the guards and ordered them to be put to death. And then Peter went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, so they came to him in a body, and after winning over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for a reconciliation because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat on the platform, and delivered a public address to them. The people kept shouting, The voice of a god and not of a mortal! And immediately, before he had not and immediately, because he had not given glory to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of the Lord continued to advance and gain adherence. Then, after completing their mission, Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem and brought with them John, whose other name was Mark. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O oh Lord, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock, cannot be shaken or moved. You are our Redeemer, our Savior, and our friend. And we pray in your name. Amen. Well, with a sermon titled, Someone's Knocking at the Door, I could not resist starting this sermon in this fashion. Knock, knock. Banana. Knock, knock. Banana. Knock, knock. Banana. Knock, knock. Orange. Aren't you glad I didn't say banana? That's bad. <laughs> Woo. All right, hold the Bible open to chapter 12 in Acts. We're going to go through this chapter together this morning. A whole lot of information to be shared. A whole lot of knocking and shaking going on. There are four doors that are being knocked upon in chapter 12. And there are four different people doing the knocking, I would propose. First, we will encounter Herod's knock. It's a knock of fear and violence. Second, there is the angel's knock. And it is a knock of liberation. Third, there is Peter's knock. And it is a knock of invitation. And fourthly, there is the knock of the king of kings. And it is a knock of reckoning calling us to account. Chapter 12 in Acts marks the beginning of the end, not of Christianity, 
but the end of those who oppose the powers of the living God that we know in the crucified and risen Jesus. This is not the end of Christianity, but even, yes, a new beginning. And this chapter starts with a king, and it ends with a king. It starts with death and fear, and it ends with power and life and growth. And chapter 12 marks the end of a stage in Luke's story about the growth of the church because next week in chapter 13, we're not going to talk about Peter anymore. We're going to talk about Paul, and Paul is going on a mission. Actually, several missions, and the book will focus on the mission of the Apostle Paul. So here we are at this beginning point, this turning point, this important point in the life of the church. The chapter begins with Herod's knock. A knock upon the door of James. James, the brother of John. They are sons of Zebedee. These are the brothers, sons of thunder, who were called by Jesus from their fishing boat, leaving their father in the boat and following after Jesus as they answered his invitation to follow. This is James that we believe was killed by the sword by Herod Agrippa, the nephew, the nephew of Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas is the one that questioned Jesus. This is Herod Agrippa, the nephew of, of that Herod. We believe this happened in 44 A.D. This is the James whose, whose, whose body or remains, we believe, are buried some believe in Santiago, Spain, and people take pilgrimages and go on Caminos to visit that holy site in Christendom and that beautiful cathedral. That's the Camino, the pilgrimage that I went on. This is the James that we're talking about. Herod knocks on his door. James answers, and he is killed by the sword. It's a knock of fear and violence. Herod also then knocks upon the door of Peter. And I would believe that Herod, uh, Herod Antipas is now causing a, a, a stir in Jerusalem because we read at the end of chapter 11 that there was a famine that had come upon the land. And so we know that people in power, people in, in, in positions of authority and able to lord it over the populace will do things to divert the dissatisfaction or the troubles of people. And so they can stir up problems and violence and maybe do things to satisfy for a particular point in time. I imagine that in the midst of a, of a famine that was going on at this particular point in time, that Herod felt like he needed to do something to stir up and divert the people's attention. And so he goes out about and persecutes and begins to martyr the Christians so that people would forget about the inadequacy of the state. We also know that this action by King Herod is pleasing to the Jews. They are pleased by what King Herod is doing. By beginning now to persecute and kill off this wild rebel cult of followers of this man named Jesus who supposedly died and rose from the dead. And so the Jews who had used the Roman state to do their bidding are now pleased with what Herod is doing. And it was Herod, it was the Roman state that killed Jesus. It hadn't helped. But now they've killed James. 
If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. So James is killed. And seeing that it pleased the Jews, now they come to Peter. I can imagine there was a, a knock at Peter's door, and it was the Roman soldiers who arrested him and threw him into prison. The timing of when this occurs is also important, and Luke does not want us to miss this. That what was going on in Jerusalem at that time was the Feast of the Unleavened Bread or the Feast of the Passover. What does this celebration mark for the Jews? The Passover. It is a celebration of their liberation. When the angel of God delivered them from their bondage in Egypt and began their journey to a promised land. Yet here, in this context, it is not liberation, but it is imprisonment that is coming to the church and to Peter. And the only thing that the church is able to do in the, the face of this, we read, is to pray. And so the church prays. As James is killed and Peter is imprisoned and Peter is being prepared to be hauled out before the people at the time of the Passover. And we see the parallel here also that Luke wants to paint for us. The parallel between the life of Jesus and the life of Peter. That if you follow Jesus, you might go in some similar footsteps. And Jesus is hauled out before the people after the Passover. Who shall I release for you? Barabbas or Jesus? Give us Barabbas. Well, what shall I do with Jesus? Crucify Him. And Peter is, following, is, is facing a similar fate to be hauled out in front of the people after the Passover to probably face his own death. And the church is left simply praying. It's, only, it's its only response, it seems. And Herod's knock is a knock of fear and of violence. How does the church experience that knock upon its door today? It is very real and plain to us more and more in these days that while we live in freedom, that there are those around the world who do not. To come to church, to carry a Bible, to read a Bible in public is not something that is threatening to us, but to many Christians around the globe that it is, like in places like Iraq and Pakistan and Afghanistan and certainly North Korea and other places like Syria, and we could go on and on. They face death. They fear the knock of violence upon their doors. This chapter in the book of Acts begins with the power of the state, an earthly king reigning over the church. And it begs for us to ask the question, what is that knock upon our doors that we may fear? Or do we fear? Is there anything in the church that, that would make us reluctant to claim the name of Jesus, to be willing to face our own persecution? To answer the question, who is the acknowledged supreme power in our lives? Yes, we respect our government and its leaders, but to whom do we offer our ultimate allegiance and loyalty? Herod's knock is a knock of fear and violence. 
And that knock is still visited upon the doors of Christians and the Christian church today. This brings us to the second knock. The angel's knock upon the prison door that holds Peter. And it is a knock of liberation. Peter is in prison. Herod is preparing to bring him out like Jesus was brought out before the crowds. And the night before Peter is brought out, he is under heavy guard. It is described in detail. Maybe Herod was afraid that Peter might escape the prison like we have read previously in this book. The power of God was able to accomplish for those who followed him. The angel knocks on the door of the prison. And the situation in which Peter finds himself is that he is guarded by four squads of soldiers. He is sleeping between two soldiers. He has two chains upon his body. And there is a soldier at every door, and it seems certain there is no way out for Peter. It is an impossible situation in which he has been caught. And the angel knocks on the door of the prison with power and with light, the Scripture tells us. And Peter is roused from his de depression. He is roused from his deep sleep. He is, he is awakened from his dread and resignation to his certain fate of death. As they killed my Savior, they're going to kill me. There's no way out. And the angel pokes him. Yea, even shakes him to arouse him from his slumber. Get up, Peter. Put on your sandals. Wrap your belt around your waist. Put your cloak across your soldier, so, shoulders and follow me. And in verse 9, Peter cannot believe and he does not understand. The Scripture says he did not know that what was being done to him by the angel was real. He's still in a fog. It's like he's sleepwalking. And they pass the first guard. They pass the second guard. And they come to the iron gate of the prison and it opens of its own accord like we press a button and our garage door goes up. And they walk out into the street. And it's only then that the angel leaves Peter. And then the Scriptures tell us Peter came to himself. Does that phrase ring any bells with us? What about the prodigal who took the inheritance, wasted it on wine, women, song, and found himself facing a fate of eating the food of pigs? And he came to himself and then returned to his father. In the same way, Peter has this revelation of what has happened and is happening to him. He comes to. From a cell of death, he walks into life by the power and the light and the grace of the living God. And he says, Now I am sure the Lord has sent His angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And it is real. This knock of liberation that comes for Peter by a sovereign God 
that freed him from sure death and an impossible situation. And the Scripture begs us to ask the question, what is your impossible situation? Where do you feel bound up and chained? Where do you feel like you are in a cell of certain death and there is no way out? Does it involve health and a diagnosis? Does it involve looking at the future and your finances? Do you feel trapped in an addiction that has you bound up and is pulling you down to death, whether it be alcohol or prescription drugs or pornography? What has you bound and chained and held captive? Well, take heart, my friends. Take heart. Liberation knocks at the door of your life by the grace and the power of God. And as Peter is called to wake up and come to, we too are called to hear the knock and to respond to the liberation that is offered us through the sovereign God and Jesus Christ. And Jesus came, He told us as He preached His first sermon in Nazareth and read from the book of the prophet Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord has, is upon me and He has appointed me and charged me and sent me to proclaim release to the captive, sight to the blind, to set the oppressed to go free and no liberation and proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So when Peter realizes that his liberation has come, what does he do? This hope and this newfound life, what does he do? But he goes to others. He goes to the community, to his relationships, where he can continue to grow in love and support and accountability. And Peter goes to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark. Remember that name. It'll come back. And I believe this is a most humorous but realistic scene in the Bible of Peter going to the house and knocking on the door. And Peter knocks. And the knock now of Peter is, is a knock of invitation. He knocks at the gate. And who answers the door? Rhoda, a servant. And when she hears that it is Peter's voice, and Peter knock, knocks, she says, who's there? It's Peter. It's Peter. It's Peter. Finally, she goes back in her excitement, not opening the door, but to tell the others, Peter's outside. And how do they respond to her? How do they respond to her of this incredible good news? You are out of your mind. Oh, how that reveals the faith of the praying church sometimes. And she says, no, it's real. We said, well, if there is someone there, it's his angel. Herod's already killed him. And finally, they go as Peter continues knocking. And when they open and see that it is Peter, they are amazed. And the Scripture says that Peter motions with his hand to silence them in their excitement. And Peter told them what the Lord had done for him and saved him from his prison. And he says to them, tell these things to others. And then he departs to another place to tell others still. Peter's knock is a knock of invitation. Invitation to the church huddled behind closed doors that was praying for Peter and praying for a miracle, praying for his release. But were they expecting it? 
Were they anticipating it? Were they believing it? We are told when we pray, pray believing that your prayers have already been answered. Pray as if it is already true. In Peter, the prayer had already been answered, but the community is not up to speed. In essence, Peter is now inviting them in his liberation to join him, to join the Spirit of God in what God has already done and what God is already doing in the world. Yet many times the church gets caught behind closed doors, huddled, prayerful, yes, but comfortable, insular, content. Let's just let these storms pass. Let it die down. Don't rock the boat. We're safe inside. All the while, God is at work in light and life and transforming the world and calling the church to join God in what He is already doing and inviting us to be part of the kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. And yes, doing this is risky. But answering this knock of invitation is the difference between life and death. The church is called to answer the door and the Spirit is knocking. As I was preparing the sermon, I remember reading in uh, James Gilbert's book on the first hundred years of the history of the the First Presbyterian Church from 1830 to to 1930. In this book, there's a story of First Presbyterian Church hearing the knock of the Spirit and answering. You can read it on page 81 and following. It's the story of the Head, Hand, and Heart Society. Let me tell you briefly what happened. In 1895, there were some members of the First Presbyterian Church joined by members of other Christian churches who, who became aware of a need in Columbus because there were children whose job it was to deliver lunches to their fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters who were working in the cotton mill. And the schools would not allow them to accomplish that task and still go to school, to be away from school for those hours that they had to deliver lunches. And so these ladies from First Presbyterian and other churches started a school that opened at 8 o'clock in the morning. They recessed at 10.30. The children took lunches to those working in the cotton mills and came back at 1 o'clock for the afternoon session. The church heard the knock of the Spirit and joined the Spirit in the work that was needing to be done here in this community. It's a beautiful story. And today the Spirit is knocking on the door of our church saying, come see what I am doing and join me in Uptown in the Booker T. Washington Housing District at CSU, in Harris County, and beyond. The Spirit is individually knocking on the doors of our life. Have you heard that knock? Have you answered? One man in our church has told me God has has called him to be a missionary. He can't do it this week or next, but he knows that within about a three-year time frame that he wants to be in a foreign mission setting doing the Lord's work. Another member of our church, a retired teacher, has told a story recently 
of after her retirement being asked by parents of a child with cerebral palsy to be that child's teacher for just four hours a week. She said, no, it's too much responsibility. I could teach a classroom of 20 because I had other teachers helping me, but to be responsible for one child, I didn't want to take that on. And she said, no, and the parents knocked. And she said, no, and the parents knocked. And she said, okay, four hours. And they knocked again and said, please now give us eight. Please now give us 12 and four days a week. She is in an incredible relationship with this beautiful child of God, using these skills that she believed God maybe had been preparing in her for this very task. And the Spirit of God is knocking on your life, the doors of our church to join in mission. I wish I had time to tell you the story that I received via email. I'll put it out on Facebook and send it to you about a knock that, that was heard upon the door of a pastor in the Presbyterian Church in Kirkuk, which is a hundred miles from Mosul, and we know what's happening. And it was a refugee with his family who needed housing. It's a beautiful story. It was an answer to my prayer, how can we as a church help the Christians in Iraq? And through the Outreach Foundation, we can do that, and your gifts will meet needs of our brothers and sisters around the world. How are we being called by the Spirit individually and corporately, and how are we answering that call? It is the knock of an invitation. And finally, there's the knock of the King of Kings. A knock of reckoning and accounting. For the king of kings at the end of this chapter knocks on the door of King Herod's life, who was unwilling to give glory to God and thought that he was almighty and powerful in his own self. And upon his reckoning, we learn that his life was required of him. So the chapter begins with King Herod seizing power and control and wielding it. But at the end of this chapter, King Herod is in the grave. And this piece of Luke's story of the acts of the apostles and the Holy Spirit is clear that there is no match for the gospel. There is no match for the king of kings. And the chapter ends this way. Did you hear it? The Word of God increased and multiplied. Have hope, my brothers and sisters. Take confidence, friends in Christ, that truly the kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of His Lord and of His Christ. And He shall reign forever and ever, King of kings, Lord of lords, forever and ever He shall reign. Alleluia. Alleluia. Someone is knocking. Will you answer? Please pray with me. King of kings, Lord of lords, we praise you. We fall humbly at your feet. 
And we are reminded today that your word tells us, as Jesus himself spoke, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, Jesus says, and opens the door, I will come into him or her and eat with them and they with me. You tell us that the one who conquers, you will grant for them to sit with you upon your throne as you also conquered and sat upon your Father's throne. Lord, it would be our joy to know you in this way and to serve you and join you in what you are already doing in the world and in our own lives. So give us ears to hear and hearts to respond to your knock of liberation and invitation for your glory, for Christ's sake, and the good of all your children. Amen. Amen.